ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. At this time of year, it feels like there's more football than you can keep up with, doesn't it? Well, maybe we can help. I'm Marcus, presenter of the Football Ramble, the UK's most entertaining football podcast. We react to all the biggest stories from the Premier League and beyond, but you won't hear loads about stats and XG. You'll hear more stuff like this. Yesterday... (laughs) A man went into a petrol station <laughs> listening to the kickoff of the Spurs Newcastle game on the radio, yep. <laughs> filled his car up, got a takeaway coffee, went to the toilet, came back to his car, and Spurs were 5 0 down. And don't take my word for it, since we started, the show's been downloaded over 160 million times. So join loads of other football fans and tune into the Football Ramble throughout Christmas and beyond. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com On today's episode, I speak to the podcaster's podcaster. Welcome to the podcast. If you like us, leave a comment below. Subscribe to our YouTube channel now and make sure you never miss another upload. It's time to bring you yet another amazing episode. Chatting tracks. With Rob, the face for Radio Burgess. Hello and welcome to this edition of Chatting Tracks. Thank you so much for following me over from the 831 Show podcast. And I can see people have been sharing it on their Facebook pages and letting everybody know about the new show. Thank you so much. It means so much to me. I really, really love you for that. Thank you so much. If you've not done it, like and subscribe. And if you haven't done it on YouTube, please subscribe on there as well because it means a great deal to me. Thank you so much. Love you all. On today's episode, I speak to the fantastic Steve Cooper, who hosts the podcast Cooper Talk. Now, this man's had everyone on there you can imagine, from actors to musicians. There'll be a link in the description. Please follow his show. It's absolutely fantastic. He's a great guy, and we had a wonderful chat. We spoke about 80s movies, growing up in the 80s, and the importance of comedy records. We had a great time. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you in the next one. Ta-da. So, obviously, your podcast covers uh, musicians and comedians and everything in between. Um, growing up in your house, was it very musical? Was your parents into music? Um, well, my dad played saxophone growing up, and my and I was in a musical house. My brother played drums. My sister played the French horn and a cello, which is the most odd thing. But I always remember that we had a uh, we had a stereo in our kitchen, and my dad would listen to Guy Lombardo and different jazz. They really didn't listen to rock music, but as a kid, because I'm 59, so when we took trips in the car, there was AM radio. So I'd hear you know Sweet Caroline and Tom Jones. In fact, my first my first two albums were the Partridge Family and a Tom Jones album, but then so I grew. I just I grew up. The music was always there, but it wasn't in the forefront. I wasn't from a per se rock family. I was from a jazz. My parents were older when they had me, so that's what I went through. Amazing. And so you obviously you you went into comedy a little bit later. Was you interested in comedians and music at the same time, or was it a different thing? Was you like more music or more comedy? Well, you know, music, My I shared a room with my older brother and he listened to Chicago and I remember he had all the Chicago albums in, and he had, you know, he listened to all these great albums. And at one point he had Cheech and Chong's uh, wedding album, which I, I interviewed Tommy Chong a few months ago and it was funny because he, he talked for like an hour and 45 minutes, he's getting stoned and uh, <laughs> it really caught me, but I loved them both. I really loved music and comedy. And I knew though, you know, as I got older, I, I took guitar lab in high school and I sucked. I couldn't even play. Like <laughs> in my head, I would hear like, duh, 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 you know, and then I go, wait, I, I couldn't play it. So I, I had a love for both. But, you know, the way I got into comedy is when I was in college, when I was a freshman, and I was big into the 80s, and this is 80s show. I, I love all the, you know, Billy Idol, all that. But Rick Springfield, I used to do a Rick Springfield, Jesse's Girl air guitar. And my freshman year, I used to hang out with a senior we called Ziggy and he played guitar and they called him Ziggy like Ziggy Stardust, he had curly hair, big man on campus. He liked me because I made him laugh. And they had this contest at my school. I went to Stockton State University in South Jersey, which now is Richard Stockton University. And they had a contest called Mr. Stockton and it was a spoof of like Miss America's, but these guys are serious. So there's all these buff dudes that get body, you know, the body contest and that. And for talent, they said, dude, you know, and I, at that time I thought maybe eventually I'll get the comedy, but I didn't know, I, you know, I was going to school for business. I didn't know, but they said, dude, you know, you got to do this. And they said, do a Rick Springfield air guitar. So I said, all right. So my buddy get guitar, we put Springfield on the back. I had picks. I wrote my name on it. I had like the eighties outfit. And I remember 
I got on the news. I got the paper. I took second. And I went on stage and I was doing Jesse's Girl and I was killing it, man. And I, people from college <laughs> still remember me for that. I mean, at my wedding, I got married for my second night four years ago. I had the DJ play that. And my friends were dying. But it was amazing. Being on stage was amazing. And uh, I mean, I all these senior girls hitting on me. I had all these women. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this is the best. And that that ended up getting my taste of entertaining. But I knew I sucked at music, so I could never be a musician. So when I got out of college, like a year later, I was selling fax machines, which are like, they don't make them anymore. And I started doing open mics in Philly. I took a, a, a class how to get me into comedy, and I started doing comedy that way. So what did you find harder originally? Was it music or comedy to do first? Which one did you find harder to? Well, I didn't do music because I sucked at it. So, I mean, I would that's I would love to. But comedy, you know, comedy is... The difference between comedy and music, and I, and I talk to a lot of musicians about this. If you're a musician, and it's different in England, I've heard like hell stories of gigs in England, how like Gary Newman told me how when he came back big, people hated him because he was popular. And he's like, you know, he said people are very mean when you get success. Like the people at the corner pub are like, oh, this guy's a jerk now. He's too big for us. But the thing about music is musicians go on stage and people are there. You know, they don't have to prove themselves. You go to a show, unless you're an Oprah, you go up, you play your songs. If you're popular, people know your songs, you know, especially the best big research of 80s bands. Comedy, a lot of people go into the attitude. Some, a lot go to laugh, but a lot of them go into, hey, make make me laugh, make me laugh. And so it's hard that way for the fact that, um, you know, I mean, I, I there's nights where you just bomb. You had mm-hmm. to sit there and get back up. You know, the thing is, you'll learn that, you know, if you don't bomb, you shouldn't bomb a lot. I mean, I would bomb every 10 shows, once every 10 shows, but, or maybe more. I, I was consistent, but I knew, I knew my audiences. But comedy, once you get into it, it's not hard. It's just anything. I think any art, it's just getting to that step where you know you go on stage and you're going to kick ass. Mm. Do you think bombing is an important part of the process? Like musicians with failed gigs, do you think that's just as important? Oh, yeah. I mean, I the first time I ever did comedy, I did an open mic. And I did great. And I was 23 or 24. And, and you have that young brashness. And you're like, oh, I'm great. You're like, you, you know, oh, next week I'm going to be headlining this club. Now, you have no idea what it takes years to get to that point. So you go up and you're just, you're cocky. And I'm walking out of the club full of myself, you know. And then I come back on the next week and I die. And I just die. And I didn't come back for like six weeks the open mics because you just you feel humiliated but you sit there and go it's going to happen i mean you have to know it's like anything you know and then as you even as you work you play bad gigs where you're just there for the money you know you're playing in like some hillbilly town in west virginia and you're going i'm gonna i'm gonna eat it you know they're not gonna get me but you have to stay true to the craft and that's what i love about a lot of musicians in mean, the 80s musicians they they stay true to their craft and they they keep bringing it that's what I think is interesting about um, comedy and music, the mix together. When you get a good sort of tenacious D band that can cross over, that's amazing. But prior yeah. to that, you know, you would get vinyl albums of comedian sets, wouldn't you? You'd get like Steve Martin live in LA or something. You just didn't get that in any other field or career. It was great. Yeah, you know, the Steve Martin albums, that that that, and the Eddie Murphy album for people my age, for comics, the Eddie Murphy and the Richard Pryors, and there were co- there were concerts. You know, I mean, Carlin did some more stuff in studio, and they did it, but it's like the live album. You know, you're doing, but the difference is when a comedian does a live album or any album, that material's gone. He can do it for like a year, but you can do it. Musicians, of course, as we see, people can play the same song for 50, 60, whatever years, and um, which they do, and you still enjoy it. But with comedy, I think once you've heard the joke, you've laughed. Mm. You know, the difference when you laugh is one thing, but when you listen to a good song, I mean, I can sit there and I'll sit in my living room and I'll have a few beers and I have, a, I get Amazon Music Unlimited. So I have everything I want or Alexa. And I'll just go, you know, I'll play the outfield or play this song or whatever I'm in the mood for. You can listen to songs and they take you back in time. Music takes you back in time. Comedy doesn't really take you back in time. Comedy makes you laugh, but most people forget comedy bits. I mean, I work, I worked with a comic a few weeks ago and I work. I open. He was on Letterman a few times when I'm when he's in town. I open for him, and I, I don't perform a lot. But that's I open always open for him. And always like I was in City Winery, great gigs. But I can't. I can't name his act. I know he does a Rocky <laughs> impression, but then but I can't. But with music, you go. 
oh my God, you remember it. What's interesting, um, in England at the minute, I don't know if it's the same in the States, but I've seen tribute artists of comedians popping up that are doing like their famous DVD or album and people are paying to go and see that. And I don't know why people don't just put the original one on. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I know one guy who does that, but it's a tribute to Robert Williams who has passed it. He has Robert Williams down to, I mean, it's perfect. The guy's his name's Roger Cabler and um, it's great. But in America, that doesn't really fly because, you know, people don't, I wouldn't go see a, a, a you're not doing your act. I mean, it's different if it's like a, like I said, Robin Williams or like a Hedy Youngman or somebody who's passed or a mm. Kinnison. But even then you're like, you know what? I could just go watch a video of Kinnison. I'm not going to pay my money to go see someone tell jokes. I already know, which is different because we'll go to see cover bands. But <laughs> once again, the music, I mean, you know, growing up in New Jersey, I've gone to the Jersey Shore. I mean, every, and I probably heard Brown Eyed Girl by, uh, <laughs> So many people, anywhere you go, they play that. My friend's in a big uh, cover band I went to college with down the shore, and I went to see uh, him. I went, drove down there, and I was like, I know what he's playing, you know, and I, but you still enjoy it. You're like, oh, Springsteen, I'm from New Jersey. Oh, I like Springsteen, well, listen. But yeah, with the comedy, I, I, I couldn't do that, because for me, I don't, first of all, I don't watch comedy. Mm. I don't go to comedy clubs. My wife went to a comedy club with her friends, because I, I was, I, probably in my life, I've done over 2,500 shows. Wow. And I don't, I don't, I don't find fun. I found, I find fun when I did it more hanging out with comics backstage or going out after, but I really don't like to watch comedy because there's no reason, you know, there's no, I mean, yeah, you can support your friends, but we're performers. I, w I worked in a theater years ago and there was, um, we had four comedians on, um, they sort of did like a triple bill type thing. And in the middle, I had to take them some drinks in the dressing room. And I went down there and they were selling jokes around the table to each other. And that was funnier than the show. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny also, if you ever get in a room of comics, I had a party. You, if you ever get in a room of comics, they stand up as they talk because we're so used to telling a joke. So if you ever, <laughs> if you ever notice that, if you ever happen to be in a room with comics and they, I mean, start talking louder. And funny thing is because a lot of us are introverts. Like we go out. We're not like, hey, we're the life of the party because the ones who ever did that were the comics that suck. You know, you go to a gig and someone will come in like, hey, we're the comedians. And meanwhile, I'm trying to work on my act and this guy's trying to get laid. And I'm like, no, dude, I don't want to talk. I, 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 you know, I always looked at comedy when, when it was my job. It was my job. I didn't drink yeah. before I went on stage. I didn't do anything. It was to go up because people paid good money. So that's what I do now. You know, I don't screw around. I mean, I talk with the crowd, but I, I've learned when I perform people paid money and it's not like the economy in America is great right now. So mm -hmm. people paid their money. Like I was in, when I was at city winery in Philadelphia, people drove over the bridge. They paid me whatever, you know, they bought their drinks. They got a babysitter. You have to be, you can't go up drunk. You can't be like, you know, you have to go up because it's entertainment. Look how pissed we get if a band goes on stage and they're wasted. I mean, Guns N' Roses were notorious for that back <laughs> in the day. You go and like, wait, I can't even understand a word this guy's saying. Or, you know, like the sex pistols when they walked off. It's like, no, we paid our money. And, and it's funny, it just happened uh, down in Atlantic City. There was a double header concert. It was uh, Missing Persons, which I've interviewed uh, Dale Bazio. And she's uh, she she started crying about Frank Zappa. Very interesting woman. You know, mm. very great stories. It was, and she can't, they canceled. So it was just Flock of Seagulls. But it was only Mike Score. And a guitarist. I've interviewed Mike, and Mike's a great guy, but they only play for like forty-five minutes. And people are like, "Wait a second, because I think casino shows are are shorter." But it's like, wait, I paid, I paid more money, you know, playing. I ran fifty-two times. <laughs> okay, I paid, I paid up whatever eighty-five bucks. I want to see a show, and and that's the thing people don't get. You know, it's uh, with music, it's, they get they got to put on a good show. Is it? Do you sort of understand what sort of comedian you are when you get into this world? Or is there sort of like, you know, that person's alternative, that person's fam family friendly? Do you sort of develop into what you are? Or do people automatically slot into those roles when they start comedy, do you think? You develop. Okay, when I started doing comedy, I started doing it. And then I started doing a character called Steve the Stud. And I would pull my shoulders back. I go, hey, you psych, you psych. And before he like, Urkel and all those people and I wear a little bow tie and I pull my pants up and it got me comfortable but I was writing good material for it 
But then you get tired of that. So you develop. Like I was away from the game for a while. And then I was in LA, I was doing it. And I even, but now after all these years, when I come back, I don't care anymore. So you do, I, so, you know, you like, you find your voice. And I think so you, people develop, you know, you see people, I mean, George Carla is the main example. He started up as a hippie weatherman and then he had to change it. So I think, you know, there are some people that will be pigeonholed in their whole career, like Stephen Wright, who does the model, you know, the series. He's, you're not going to tell him to see Stephen Wright going up and going, hey, what's up, people? You know, it's not going to happen. But I think a lot of times when you're young, it's like anything in life. You know, we develop and you develop and you, it's, and you just, your writing style, I think, stays a lot the same. But how you develop and how you look at it, you know, you go into more storytelling. Because the, the bottom line is, I always tell people this, comedians, and I think all entertainers, are the worst myths. Because we're insecure, part insecure, but we're part narcissistic, which doesn't make sense. But we sit there, we need that, but then we're worried, you know? And so, but you, as you get to deal with that, you go, you get to a point where I know if I write a joke, if it's funny or not, if it's funny to me and I'll do it. But I, I do on Facebook, I do these stupid jokes all the time and I do it as a joke. And at the end I say, I'll see myself out and people know it, but it's what people don't get is I would never do them on stage. But I enjoy that. But I think it's like anything, you know, a good, a lawyer will develop. You know, see people going from defense attorney to, you know, prosecutor or anything, or as you call it, barristers, right? Is that what it's called, a barrister? Yeah. And they wear the wigs. I, I saw a great show on uh, on uh, Showtime about that big uh, bank robbery a few years ago with uh, the MMA fighter. And mm. uh, they kind of say barristers. But I think it's like anything, as you develop, as you get older, or as you just do it more, you get better. I mean, when a baseball player comes for the first time, he's not going to hit, you know, how many yard feet, but as you do it and as you grow and you mature, you, um, I think you, 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 your voice can change. What I love about comedy, particularly American comedy, is it, it falls into two categories, really, for me. There's the aeroplane level, which is amazingly brilliant, and your naked guns and your Hi. your obvious comedy, and then you've got like you, you mentioned Stephen Wright, who I think is a complete genius. I think he's amazing, and I love the way you've got that sort of left and right, top and bottom, and, and the middle sort of stuff is okay, but it doesn't float. If you know what I mean? Well, yeah, well, you know, it's funny. Airplane is one of those classic movies. Animal House, Caddyshack, that's stuff I grew up on. Then it's like those were the movies. I mean, I can still watch Animal House and laugh. I can still watch Airplane. In fact, I had, uh, I had, um, can't think of her name. She was on uh, the Love Boat, and she was in Airplane, and she's the girl who's laying there when the nurse hits the the IV with her guitar. All right, and it was out. <laughs> Jill Whelan, that's her name, and she played a little girl in the Love Boat. But you know, we talked about this. How that movie, if you watch it, it's just always funny. Yeah. I mean, and it's stupid. Even, you know, like there's a movie called Scary Movie. And here's how I break up movies that come. Scary Movie, you know what? 75% of the jokes hit. But there's jokes every, every, every minute. But then you watch something like Something About Mary, where it's not jokes every minute, but every joke hits it. And that's what's good about American comedy. You either have the rapid fire, blah, 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 which Stephen Wright did in his act, or the mm. joke like Kinison's, what Kinison was big before he passed, like is like, something about Mary set up set up set up boom and that's what I think what's great and you know that's what's great about comedy that you can be so subjective I mean I love Woody Allen's comedy you know Woody Allen's very dry you know just very but if you break his jokes down they're they're sort of simple and dumb yeah but they're funny like in Take the Money and Run he goes I wasn't his teacher goes he wasn't good at the uh, cello he tried to blow into it to me, that's a funny, funny joke. But when you break it down, it's just the visual. And that's what that's great about comedy. You know, some people just try to be, you know, now there's people who try to be shock, shock comedy. And you know what? It's not shock comedy because everyone, if everyone's doing it, and it's just a matter of this. I love the stupid comedy, but now clubs, people don't get the stupid comedy. There's a guy in Philadelphia named the legendary Wid, been around forever. He's a prop act, all this props all over the stage. But his writing, it's so stupid. It's so funny. I opened for him when I came to visit my wife when I would fly in from LA. And I was dying. I Because mean, it's so dumb, but it's so rapid fire and he's so frantic. 
But now, I mean, if he started doing comedy now, people would be like, what's that? Because, you know, people, some people are trying to, you know, America's at the point where people are trying to be too hip. But they don't get it. It's like I always say, like when punk rock was big, you have kids walking around from the suburbs with anarchy in the UK. And it's like, you, you live in you live in the suburbs of Philadelphia. There's no <laughs> anarchy. You know, it, it's like, it's and it's funny because it's like that. Too. You probably see it with all the bands, and the t-shirts. You see kids with all like the Nirvana t-shirts. And you're like, do you know any song? No, I like the logo. It's like, well, you know, come on. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Like, especially in England, when the punks came out, you had the people with the pins and it was the Sun newspaper's guide to being a punk. <laughs> and they'd all just yeah. read it. <laughs> that's amazing it's a shame that um comedy like growing up my mum used to take around her friend's house and she had young frankenstein the jerk man with two brains and blazing saddles on video and i used to watch them every time i went around there and they you know these amazing films could not get made today and it's just because they're so subversive but not subversive at all you know oh yeah you know i i actually i just watched the jerk a few weeks ago i was sitting there and it was it's like you flip around you're bored no way in hell would it get blazing saddles no way in hell would get made but the funny thing is if you break it down you know blazing saddles was made by a jewish man you know it's not like he was not like he's some racist you know yeah. mel Brooks is a genius um young frankenstein and just you know i think that's going to pass that's funny because when i when i work with my friend joe matteris the guy i was at city winery with we're very lucky because we have the the same crowd mm. We got we packed the place. We had like three hundred people there. Like seventy came to see me, a bunch came to see him, and then people just came up for comedy. But we know we get the forty years and up Jewish, Italian, South Jersey where we grew up, and Philadelphia. No one gets offended. No one. They go out to laugh. And I think I think the offending it's people. I think they just do it to feel important. You know, there's a, there was a guy who was like trying to find people's tweets from eight years ago. Well, don't you have anything better to do eight years from eight years? Like you're going to go through tweets. I don't even know how to look at tweets I did like a year ago. I don't even know. I mean, Facebook, I don't see when it pops up Facebook memory. So I know it, but I'm thinking, how much time do you have? Like get a life, you know, maybe instead of doing that, why don't you go watch a classic comic? Yeah. It was a different time. Comedy was different. You look back at the old prior stuff. That's not stuff fly now. Hell, there was deaf comedy jam. There was, you know, there was all different things. And, Back in the day, you know, yeah, I mean, I I had I did a bit about downtown Julie Brown and MTV, and I forgot all about the bit. At a young comic when I started, he was he was fifteen, and he was from the hood in Philly. Young black guy, Ronnie Lum, sent me a message on Facebook like three years ago. He's remember that bit, and this is someone who's who African American. He said that was so funny. I forgot about it because I basically said. You know, Julie Brown, she talks, you know, this next video. And I thought she'd be like, oh, yeah, this next video is crazy and shit. And he thought it was funny. And, and I used to do a bit about Chris Rock, how Chris Rock, his bits are very long. I said, I'm Chris Rock, you know, just because he, and, 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 and I did that. And then my old line was, have you ever seen a brother eat guacamole? Nothing racist. But some guy goes, oh, I think that's racist. I go, how is that racist? I said, I had a party. I had a few African Americans. I texted them the next day. Did you have the guacamole? They said, "No, nah, we didn't eat it." So my joke was, "You never seen a." And I didn't. I was at a party. I had a party. I didn't see any of the, the my uh, black friends eat the guacamole. Nothing. And I could have said, "You know, I didn't see any uh, Gentiles eat the guacamole." But the Gentiles were eating the guacamole. Jews were eating the guacamole. It was a joke. But people, people, people find stuff just to get offended, and and, <laughs> and it's it's so sad. It's like, you know, there are things that are offensive. And I, I'm someone who believes in free speech, but I also believe in if you say something stupid, pay the consequences. But a joke from eight years ago, like when Kevin Hart backed out of the Oscars, he wrote it eight years ago. You know, you think about us, like we're both bald. Ten years ago, we had hair. You know, it, it's like people change and, and people people don't understand that. But there's there's these people that just stick to it. All, you know, I'm like, you know, I have to find it out. I People will put their foot in their mouth, but everyone's got to chill out because comedy's just come. And you know, you watch the jerk, you're going to laugh. Yeah, it's all just. I mean, and young for you laugh, and that's Anwiles could have I had saw someone wrote an article. Help, and I'm a big John Hughes fan. Eighties music movies, I love. Wrote they were dissecting Sixteen Candles. How it was awful that you know Anthony Michael Hall had sex with that girl when she was drunk and all this, and it's like. 
and the long duck Dahmer. That would never fly now. But <laughs> it was the 80s, man. I mean, I went to college in the 80s. I went to high school in the 80s. I know what the 80s are like firsthand. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, a lot of the shit that's happening now wasn't happening in the 80s. I mean, you know, like the, the date rape. We didn't, we didn't do that stuff. You know, we didn't. We didn't yeah, I mean, glad there, we always say, glad there's no, you know, social media back then because there's some incriminating pictures of all of us. But it, <laughs> it's, I think the 80s, I was talking, you ever hear a movie called Valley Girl? Yeah. Okay, well, I interviewed Deborah Foreman years ago. And, and we were talking and we said, I came up to the conclusion, and she agreed with me, that the 80s, there was no political correctness because none of us were jerks. You know, mm. we were, we had men. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, owner and user of Mint Mobile. And I am recording this message on my phone. I'm literally on my Mint phone. Why? Because fancy recording studios cost money. And if we spent money on things like that, we couldn't offer you screaming deals. Like if you sign up now for three months, you get three months free on every one of your plans, even unlimited. Visit mintmobile.com slash switch. Limited time, new customer offer. Activate within 45 days. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. Unlimited customers using more than 40 gigabytes per month will experience lower speeds. Video streams at 480p. See mintmobile.com for details matters yeah did we party yeah but you know and now it's like they're looking at the 80s stuff and it was a different time you know look you have you have electric cars now years ago you had bicycles so it's just funny how with comedy people get offended but it's like things have changed but funny is funny i mean you cannot if you watch the jerk or animal house and you don't laugh there's a problem because that's that's (laughs) funny stuff I mean, the opti grab is amazing. Um, I mean, as well as that, you know, it sort of um, it started dangerous when you've got like Eddie Murphy back in the day as well, and it's kind of softened softened as it's got on, which is the worst part. You figured it would get worse. Eddie Murphy could have never have done the album he did now because there is language, and not language, or certain you know words. There's one whole yeah sketch about gay people. And it has a very derogatory term, a term I do hate, but that, I mean, now he wouldn't do that now, but back then, you know, it's funny people, people it's, I was at, I was at this kid's, this guy's birthday party. who grew up in my neighborhood. We call him goofy Goffinette. Well, he had a fake guy and he had a very hard (laughs) life, but he was a good guy. And we surprised him for his birthday party. And we were talking to, uh, I was talking to this guy who was a pipe fitter. Rough and tumble guy, real nice guy. And we talked about this one neighborhood that became very upgraded when it became uh, 80% gay, which that's what happens. You know, the, the restaurants get better. It's just, and it's great. But he he said, not the whole F word, but he said, but he wasn't doing it meanly. It was just what he knew. And he wasn't, and he was saying, oh, it was great when the such and such came in and not, he didn't use the OTS. But he said, it's such, you know, and some people just don't know better. And it's not, hateful and and that's like with comedy you know sometimes it's like anything people are going to be hateful people are and you can break it down you know musically lyrics too people can have very mean lyrics people can have good lyrics talking about the same thing it's crazy as well like when you've got um age divergence when you've got like my friend he's the same age as me so he's 45 and we were in work and there's a load of 20 year olds that work there and what they walk past and what he just said to one of them, hello trouble, which is just an, an English expression, you know, hello trouble, you're right, as, as in, uh, you're right. And she turned and said, you can't say that to me, that's offensive. And he was like, what? She said, how do you know I'm not, I'm um, trouble. He's like, I'm not. <laughs> it's just- well, it, it, it's, there's no common sense anymore. And I, and I think, it, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah, I, I had uh, a, no idea what bartenders like, hey, little girls, joking around, Don't, we're not little girls. He's like, yeah. it's, it's a joke, you know. I I I do it because I, and I do it on my podcast. You know, you uh, people where I go, I say guys a lot, mm. and I don't mean like if I'm a group people go, okay, guys. I don't mean like, and some mm. people are like, oh, well, we're girls. I'm like, well, it's it's I'm not making fun of you. It's, <laughs> it's don't take it so literal. I'm saying, hey, guys, and and now yeah, it, it's funny. People people take everything so literal, you know. And it's like no, you know, someone says. I mean, if someone comes and calls me Baldy, I'm not going to be offended. Even though I'm, I mean, but you're not going to walk with a bar and they're not going to go, hey, Baldy, unless you know you. But <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's like the, the trouble thing. It's it's just a term. You know, there's something called slang or something called term. It's not like, not like he said, hello, bitch. No, he said, hello, <laughs> trouble. Oh, okay. Well, that's, I wouldn't be offended by that. But I've learned people, 
people just get offended by everything. And I think it's social media. And I, I, you know, especially in America, there's a division in politics. I'm an independent. I don't get involved with it. But I remember years ago, I had a friend who was from England. We called him English Dave, actually. He was from London. <laughs> he was very liberal. And I had a friend, Dean, who was very conservative. And we'd be at my place and we'd be drinking and partying, you know, and they would start talking politics. But they'd respect each other mm. and they'd listen to each other. And I, it was fascinating to me to hear them. And at the end, maybe one says, well, you know, you sort of have a point. But now everything's the real People just, you know how it is on Facebook. Oh, or you're stupid. Well, I grew up where if you went to a bar and you're talking to someone, you said, you're stupid. You probably get punched in the face. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's true though. It's like people just say it. I got in an argument with it. This guy came when I made a joke about COVID and I said, it's unbelievable that some people believe in Bigfoot, but they don't believe in COVID. Nothing political about that. Nothing. So some guy goes on a tangent, blah, 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 starting stuff with my friends. So I unfriend him. <clears throat> so then I get, I get a message from him. Hey, comrade. You and your Hollywood wannabes. Well, like, I live in New Jersey. I said, you live in Hollywood. And I, I know half of Hollywood. So no. And he put this thing, and he was all mad because I unfriended him. And I'm like, you know, you, it's, people take everything so serious now. And, you know, I don't, it's like, I don't post anything, even a little bit political, because I have people just start saying stuff. Then you'll go, well, that has nothing to do with a joke. Well, I guess you're right. So it's just, it's, it's America's crazy. Now. I don't know how it is over in England, but. America's just nuts. Like I don't even, I don't even pay attention. My wife's very liberal. I know I, I'm independent, but people just get so heated. You can't even make a joke anymore. And I know a lot of people, I know right-wing comics offstage, but they're professionals where they go, when I go on stage, I am not going to talk about politics. Because like I said earlier, people pay money to go. So if you start talking about this and you're pissing out health after people, they're not having fun. But that's what it is. Let's keep it for social media. But there are people who, just go for that crowd and it they forget you know if you're a hardcore right comic or hardcore left comic you're losing 50 percent of your crowd and the whole idea of entertaining is to get asses in the seat and make it laugh because it's a lot easier to make 300 people laugh than 25 people that's absolutely true so around 1980 i would have been five or six and my growing up my version of america in the 80s was through films like wall street and valley girl and the joke and John Hughes being the big one. Was it was it like that growing up in America? Was it all sunny shines and money and all that sort of stuff? You know, I think it depends where you live. Okay, me, I grew up, as I said, I grew up in a, a nice town. You know, my parents were from, my mom was from immigrants and my dad was, you know, second generation English German. My mom was Austrian Yugoslavian and they wanted us to, to have a better life. You know, they, they had good lives. So they worked and they, they put us in a nice suburb. Outside, 10 minutes, 15 minutes outside Philadelphia. Nice area. We got to live. I got to live the breakfast club. I got to live that. It was like that. But what's funny is people don't know is the influence of England on us. Because I still remember when Duran Duran got big and I had hair. I took a picture. This is no lie. I took a picture to the hair salon my mom took me to. It was this lady, Phyllis. I remember she's a big, happy lady with curly black hair. And I took a picture of Simon Laban. And I said, <laughs> I want my hair like that. And they're like, oh, look how handsome Simon Laban is. Like, oh, I'm not ready. But, but it was, you know, The Breakfast Club. You know, great movie. You know, I, I graduated high school in 82. I think The Breakfast Club came out in 82 or 83. But we all identify with that. In our high schools, they call them sporters. We had jocks. Okay, the athletes. We had the outcasts. We called them freaks. Which you can't call them now because they're all smoking pot. We, we know and, Everyone smoked pot in high school, but they were always out, you know, freaks. And then we had the discos. They were the guys who liked disco. And there was the groups. So it was a lot. You know, it was a lot like that. Like, if you watch 16 Candles, I went to parties like that. Now, given I grew up on the East Coast, Valley Girl took color on the West Coast. So where L.A. was like that. But in middle America, they really didn't get that. I mean, they may have, but it was different. That's why we saw a movie like Footloose. They couldn't dance in middle America, you know. But a lot of it was... We did live that, you know, looking back and in, in America, 80s stuff influenced it. When Miami Vice came back, all of us wanted to get those Don Jots and look, we didn't shave. And so, yeah, those 80s movies are pretty on. I mean, of course, they exaggerate like anything, but I mean, the John Hughes movies, they just hit you, you know, and there is the division, like some kind of wonderful and stuff like that. But yeah, they, they. 
they were getting a breakfast club. Everyone I know relates to that is my age. And, you know, don't you forget about me, which is funny when we talk about music in the eighties, you know, I had, I had, um, pretty and pink was a nice of the James Spader hair. So mm. whenever she's pictures of me, they go, you know, why were you in a John Hughes movie, Cooper? And, um, <laughs> I had Andy McCluskey from Owen Deal on my show. And I, I asked him about if you leave in the song from pretty and pink. And, and for me, if, if that movie came out in 85 and we were leaving college and that meant a lot to us because it wasn't now with social media. And the funny thing is Andy told me is they wrote that song in like one day because they had another song placed in pretty and pink. And in the original pretty and pink Ducky was supposed to get Molly Ringwald, not Andrew McCarthy, but the people tested it and said, we don't want Ducky to get her. So the song they had didn't match with the dancing and they did it. But that's why for like those movies, the music was so important too, because it, I mean, I just had to meet a reunion of my college and we stayed overnight and everything. And you talk about music in those movies. I mean, they, they really shaped us. And, and cause we did live that, you know, at a certain age, as I said, I was in the middle, I was in college and I, you know, when those movies were coming out. So yeah, they, they, they hit spot on John Hughes is brilliant, man. That guy. Mm. And, you know, and people forget he wrote, he wrote the vacation movie, you know, yeah. he, he, I mean, which is funny. They're funny ass movies. Christmas mm. vacation is hysterical. But he really hit the part, and and I have a friend who was in Breakfast Club who played the janitor, and wow. he said he said John actually John Capelos he's done my podcast. I said, if you like eighties stuff, here's a story. We did a live version of my podcast, Cooper Talk. I had John Capelos from the Breakfast Club in a coffee shop owned by Damone from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He owned the coffee shop, and John Capelos said like when he got that part, you know, he was also on Sixteen Candles. He was the Harry Bullhunk. Yeah, the thing. But his part wasn't supposed to be that big, but he got the part and it changed his life because those movies, it's funny, none of them did huge at the box office, but when they started getting on cable and VHS, then they just blew up. So they, they, they in the for people my age, that was a big foundation for us because, you know, and the music, because we, we listened to like Bowie and stuff like that, but that was our older brothers. And those movies, you know, like even the Woody Allen movies, you really didn't get. But when John Hughes movies came out, it was just, oh my God, like that's us. Like that's, that's that guy. You know, we know a guy like Bender on Breakfast Club. We know, I mean, I grew up in a town where we had a lot of Molly Ringwald types, you know, like the mm. stuck up girls whose parents bought them. I mean, I would take my mom's car to school every once in a while, or I'd drive with my brother when I was a freshman, he was a senior. But there was, I mean, our parking lot was full of red Camaros or and all those things. And it was just so, those movies really hit you know, this this show is about the eighties and those really hit the uh they really hit us and, and they do looking back now, it's still you know, you can remember those lines and, and the lines from the movie and, and it's and it, it was a special time for us. My favorite bit in the be- Breakfast Club, and I don't know what it means to this day, is when the headmaster's walking around and then he looks in the mirror and he goes, Hugga Dugga <laughs> I don't know what that means either. I think it was just it must be a line from the movie. And if the funny thing about the Breakfast Club and this is one thing that irritates me about the Breakfast Club. Judd Nelson's crawling through the air ducts. <laughs> and, and he tells a joke, but he falls before the punchline. And I never knew what the punchline to that joke was. And I tried <laughs> to get Judd Nelson on my show, and I haven't been able to, to get that punchline. But that was, I'm like, well, what was the punchline? It's like two, and the music falls right through. So yeah. it's there's, there's a lot of stuff, you know. Once again, that was taking place in Chicago. So there, in America, there's different lingo everywhere. So mm-hmm. there was stuff that made me Chicago. I was just in Buffalo visiting people, and they call soda, which we call soda, they call it pot. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a size of get pot, and then they do that in Midwest. So there's a lot of language, too, that in Chicago probably didn't translate to us because, you know, we have, you know a lot of the Philly people like use guys instead of you guys, or come on. It's, it's just so... There's probably something in that movie that I missed, but if you were from Chicago, you really, really got because that all took place in Chicago. I mean, what's nice as well is you, is you had a mix of the music and the films, and they were both just as good as each other. And it wasn't taken separately. Like if a song was from a film and it was in the charts, it wasn't like, oh, that's the film from that song. It was like, oh, that's Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds. Flashdance. Like, mm. I mean, Flashdance, you'll, Irene and Michael uh, Zambello Maniac, you know, those songs. Exactly. You didn't sit there and go, well, that's a funny I mean, flash dance. The song was flash dance, but you didn't think of the movie. There was a great movie. I don't know if you ever saw Vision Quest. 
Mm. And it was uh, Matthew Modine was a wrestler. And that soundtrack, it had Madonna singing Crazy About You, Red Rider singing Lunatic Fringe. You know, there was all these great songs. And you didn't sit there and go, when you're, you remember Valley Girl, the Plimsolls, you know, a million miles away. You hear them and you think of the movie, but you also think, well, no, that's the Plimsolls. And it's uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, like um, Psychedelic Furs and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, you just know it. Yeah. I melt with you, uh, Robbie. I interviewed Robbie from Modern English, and they didn't even—they didn't even know the movie. They didn't even know the song was in the movie. Like he was an American, <laughs> someone said, "Check this out," and it was a huge part of the movie. But back then, the music industry screwed everybody. The film companies still do, but they didn't know. But those movies, the, the, the soundtrack was so important in the eighties. The, the soundtrack to movies. But you're right. You 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 thought of it as a sound you. You would listen to the soundtrack. You didn't have to, and you wouldn't think about the movie. You go, God, like the Pretty in Pink soundtrack's amazing. You go, God, this is this is great music. You've got an amazing podcast um, called Cooper Talk. Can we just sort of discover how that started and why you got into that? Yeah, uh, you know, it was eleven or twelve years ago. I was living in LA, and you know, when you're in LA, you're hustling. And I was doing um, corporate restaurant work, and this guy I met at an event had an internet radio station and someone said, Oh, Cooper would be really good for a show. He goes, you want to do a show? I said, all right. And they only played indie music. So he goes, I go, yeah, but I want to do an 80 show. And he goes, well, we don't, we don't have the license for that. So we have to pay independent bands. I said, but I want to do talk too. He goes, okay, you can do half talk, half uh, music. So I was still doing some comedy. So I was getting comics. I knew to come on and we talk and I really enjoyed it. But then all of a sudden on the internet station, he texted me one day and he goes, man, he goes, a ton of people are listening. You got really good numbers. And he goes, just, you can do, you can do all talk if you want. I said, right. So I had an hour slot and that's where I learned to interview because I had never interviewed anyone in my life. I, I never done it, but I knew, you know, how to listen and just, you know, I think one thing is with my interviews, I don't plan anything. I have my research. I don't write anything out because I don't want it to be like this and that. I started doing it and then people would come into the studio. And I remember Paul Tompkins is a big comic, you know, underground comic. I know from Philly, he came in. Cato Kalin, if you don't know, he was the guy with OJ. I met him in a couple OJ's house guests. He came in and I just started getting guests. And then all of a sudden I started reaching out to people on Facebook. And a guy, Robbie Benson, was a big heartthrob in America, movie Ice Castles, a one-on-one. He said he'd do it. So I was like, cool. So once you get, it's like a drug. Once you get that one hit, you're like, oh man, this is great. So I just kept getting guests. I just kept building. And then I would get I would get these actors and drummers that no one was asking for, especially the actors. Nobody was no one asked for these actors. I had Amanda Weiss from uh Fast Times of Regiment High and, and uh, Better Off Dead. And they'd come in and they'd have fun. And they say to someone, Oh, Steve's a really good guy. You'll like it. So you come in the studio. I'd had Asner come in. You know, I I got him because some guy I had was the same PR person. And I said, who else do you have? He says, that as I said, can I have that as He goes, yeah. So I learned, I just, it started building. And then when the studio closed, I started getting a lot of musicians. And I remember I, I was a big fan. And I don't know if you heard of them. There's a big band from Philly called the Ooters. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had a big album. They just toured Europe. They're very top, huge in Germany. And I got them on. I became friends with the drummer. And then I met this Jason Aldean's drummer. And he got me people. So it just started snowballing. And when you start getting a list of people, you aim high. You know, not people. I mean, I got Stephen Van Zandt off of one email. You know, but wow. then also some people say they'll do it, and you get you get burned a lot. I had some people say they'll do it, I never hear back. But I had someone from a band. I'm not going to say like I'll do it. Set it up, and never showed up. You know, and then never respond when I do it. I know things happen. So I just started building it. I just I was persistent, and I, and I love interviews. I would just get on and I would talk to these people. And it's like anything in the business world and any world. If you're good at what you do. And you know how to network. And, I, you know, and as I said, you know, and if you're not like a fanboy, if you talk to these people, because what I've learned is I've done, I've had nine, I've 966 episodes posted. Now I've done more before that, that aren't on my site because they were just people that were a local comic in Philly, or, I mean, in LA or whatever, but none of them. And this has got us to it. Not one has been a jerk. And I'm going to tell you, man, I, and I interviewed, I've interviewed some big eighties people. You know, Jack Hughes from Wang Chun was the most nicest guy. The late Tony Lewis from the outfield. So nice. And, you know, a lot of John Waite. John Waite was phenomenal. 
And he wasn't doing a lot of interviews. And I don't know if he heard my show, but I emailed him. He said, I want to do it. And and then I, he was in town. Uh, I interviewed him two and a half years ago. He was in town a few weeks ago. And I emailed him. I said, hell with it. I said, hey, I, I told him, I said, listen, my mom said, the worst thing you do by asking is get a no. I said, can you put me on the guest list? And he did. Same with Dave Wakely. Dave Wakely, fun, so nice. And, and you know, and these are people that, I mean, tenderness. I got married four years ago. I had that on my soundtrack. I mean, well, like picked up songs. And the guys, Andy McCluskey from OMD. And I've just been lucky, you know. And, and I, I tell one of the younger podcasters, I said, you know, you, you got to deliver, you know. And, then, and a lot of guys are afraid to, well, how did, how did you get this guest? I go, well, they go, okay, there's a guy. Do you know, do you know the show Better Call Saul? It's out in England. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, there's a, there's a blonde guy, Patrick Fabian. After the second season, I thought he was great. I asked the actor, I said, do you know Patrick Fabian? He goes, yeah. I goes, can you get him on my show? He goes, let me find out. Like a half an hour later, Patrick calls me. Yeah, I'd love to do it. All right. So he comes in the studio. We have a blast. He's from about two hours where I grew up. So then all of a sudden, better call, I call Saul keeps getting bigger and bigger. So after season five, I have his phone number, but I don't want to text him because I haven't talked to him in like four years. So I <laughs> sent him a message on Facebook and I say, hey, Patrick, Steve, I'd love you to come back on. I didn't want to text you. And he goes, cool. Coop text away. So he came back on. So when the season ended, the series ended, I said, how did I text him? He came back on. And all these guys were like, well, how'd you get him? I go, well, because I interviewed him before anyone knew, really, they knew who he was, but it was big. And I always tell people, you know, you can get guests, hmm. but there's also, you know, if you're going to get that big guest off the bat, you better be ready. I mean, you know, I was I was nervous with Stephen Van Zandt. That was two years ago. I mean, I was eight, 700 interviews under the belt. I'm a huge Springsteen fan. I like the Sopranos, you know. And the thing is, you have to displace it. You can't, you can't make them feel like, hey, oh my God, it's Robbie. Robbie, I love you. No, you go, hey, you know, I have David Duchovny on, and uh, I love the show Californication. Mm. And Evan Handler was on Californications, and he, he was on like six months before. And he says, if Duchovny's ever on the show, and I didn't think I'd ever get Duchovny, he said, ask this question about how I got the part. So I said to David, I said, I'm going to ask you a question. No one has asked you. Evan Handler told me right then, David was like, oh, this guy's cool. He's not kissing my butt. He understands. And the thing is, I appreciate what my guests do. A lot of people do so much research and they ask these obscure questions. I call all my interviews, I call organic chats. I just want to talk to people, especially if they've had a, like I had Lamal from uh, Kajigugu. And I talked about that song, Too Shy to Shy, what it was like in college. You know, it was one of those songs where it was slow and fast. So if a girl dances with you in the fast part and dancing the slow part, you probably were going to get a slow dance after that and you might get lucky. And then he went on to tell a whole story because I think a lot of these people, especially as you get older, that, that music's been around forever and they appreciate the people, the stories, because that's what, to me, you know, music is. There's a story behind the songs. And, and my original point was everyone, all these guests have been nice. I have never met a jerk. And, you know, people, because people have this predisposition, you know, oh, actors, musicians, a lot of them are just guys like us, man, just trying to make it, you know, a, a lot of them be real. So many of those eighties people got screwed by the yeah. record companies. I think in John Waits documentary, he said he was on the babies for six years, selling records. Well, after six years, he had $6,000 in his bank account, but people think they live in mansions and until he wrote missing you. And then it changed everything. But a lot of them, I'm Martin Chambers from Pretenders. I interviewed him and he said, you know, during the pandemic, he goes, we have to get on the road. I didn't write the music. <laughs> These guys are guns for hire. And yeah. and it's just crazy. And there's two versions of the song, isn't there? There's their version and your version, how you perceive it, which is wonderful. Oh, totally. You know, and where they came from, right? And you hear some songs that you love, they just wrote like that. And, you know, it's, you know, it's so fascinating. Songwriters are so fascinating. I mean, when you listen to like, the Who, you know, Bob O'Reilly. You hear the, the keyboards, and then at the end, there's a violin. If you, if, if you pitch it to someone, well, better start with this weird keyboard, then this, then Townsend's going to sing sort of off key, and then there's <laughs> going to be a violin. Record producers would be like, what? <laughs> but it became a classic, and then that's what's that's what's great. That's what's great when you talk to these people. They they have they have good stories. I mean, it's a fantastic show, and and the guests are amazing on there, and they do open up to you. I, and I was listening, thinking this is this is great stuff. If people want to find the show, where's the best place to get it and find out about yourself if you're doing stand up? Okay, well, you can go to coopertalk 
coopertalk.net. I want all the platforms, iTunes, all that, but go to coopertalk.net because there, there's a picture of the artist. Because a lot of times people don't know who your musician is, especially with actors. They don't know who the actor's name is, but they go, oh, that guy was in The Sopranos. So go to coopertalk.net. You can follow me on Twitter at coopertalk. I'm not really on that much anymore. Threads, I'm on at coopertalk1 and Instagram at coopertalk1. But I got threads, I don't really use it. And if you're on Facebook, uh, follow Cooper Talk Radio. Or just add me. You got Steve Cooper. And if we have mutual friends, I'll add you. If not, I'm not going to add you. But because you never know nowadays, you get people add you and you go, you get some weird message. You go, what the hell? But <laughs> Cooper Talk Radio. And that, and, and then that's just follow that. And that's the best way to get in touch with me. And uh, Cooper, Cooper at coopertalk.net. You can email me. Steve, it's been wonderful talking to you today, mate. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. I appreciate it. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. At this time of year, it feels like there's more football than you can keep up with, doesn't it? Well, maybe we can help. I'm Marcus, presenter of the Football Ramble, the UK's most entertaining football podcast. We react to all the biggest stories from the Premier League and beyond. But you won't hear loads about stats and XG. You'll hear more stuff like this. Yesterday... (laughs) A man went into a petrol station <laughs> listening to the kickoff of the Spurs Newcastle game on the radio, yep. <laughs> filled his car up, got a takeaway coffee, went to the toilet, came back to his car, and Spurs were 5 0 down. And don't take my word for it. Since we started, the show's been downloaded over 160 million times. So join loads of other football fans and tune into the Football Ramble throughout Christmas and beyond. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.